Keep me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2. And we left off in verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. So you guys bracing yourself for the snow? Oh, yeah, yeah. Think it's actually going to snow? Yeah, no? All right. Well, you guys are here Saturday night, so either way, you should be uh, home in your pajamas tomorrow if it does snow, right? Let's pray together. God, as we open up your word tonight, we just open up our hearts and we invite you to teach us and to just have your way in us, God. And so, Lord, would you uh, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, where there's distractions, we pray that you would set those aside and Lord, give us a heart to hear your word, to apply it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Moses prayed this in Psalms 90, verse 12. He said, so teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. When you really stop to think about it, our lives are short. And that's the brevity of life that Moses was praying for. He wanted that to be in the forefront of his heart and his mind so that he would apply himself to things that really mattered. So knowing that our days are short, what's really important in life? I can't think of anything better, anything more wonderful, anything more powerful than a life that is used by God. Can you? Do you desire to be used by God? Is there a part of you that says, I want my life to count? I don't want to just go through life making money, being comfortable, living for myself. But when I step into eternity, I want to know that my life was used by God. There's nothing that can really compare to it when the Lord puts his hand, his favor on a person and he begins to use them. And maybe this Saturday night you're a little bit disengaged. You know, you, you find yourself just as this service is, is happening, that your mind is somewhere else, that you're thinking about other things. Church family, someday your life is going to be done. It's going to be over. And I think tonight is one of the most important messages that we can find in Scripture because it shows us, it tells us, it teaches us what it means for a life to be used by God. There's something that you can actually do and I can actually do to prepare our hearts the way that we live our lives so that we're fit for the master's use. And that's the title of tonight's message, Useful for the Master. And there's three specific things as we go through the message tonight that will make us useful for the master. So join me in verse 14. Remember them, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. First, Paul tells Timothy, you've got to remind them of these things. We need to be reminded. We can be forgetful, can't we? And it's not so much that learning is about presenting new information, but it's being reminded of what we already know. And so this was the job of Timothy, is these are the things that you are to remind others about. First is charging them before God. This is an exhortation that's given before the Lord to not strive about words to no profit. And literally, this is a word fight. Do you ever have those in your home? It's not really a necessary argument. It's just simply a word fight. Do you ever have that with people of God, with brothers and sisters in Christ? You don't need to have it. No one needs to be right. This isn't an issue of heaven or hell. But yet we find ourselves having a word fight. And it says, don't strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of hearers. Do conversations really matter? 
Are they really that big of a deal? Do we have the freedom to engage in a word fight? I like to argue. I like to debate. I've got to come out on the winning side. What does it say there in verse 14? To the ruin of hearers. There's people listening to those word fights, aren't they? And it's actually destroying their lives. Words are very, very powerful. And we're going to find in tonight's Bible study, three times Paul tells Timothy conversations to avoid. Conversations to not enter into. I find in my life, it's more difficult to avoid a conversation than to enter into one. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody can fight over words, but it takes great self-control. It takes great meekness and humility to say, I can see where this conversation's going. Do you ever ask that question? I know that this is a simple word fight. This person's not looking for an answer, so I'm not going to strive about words that have no benefit. We go on into verse 15, and this is the first thing tonight, if you're taking notes, that we need in our lives if we're going to be used by God. And it's a diligent worker, a diligent worker, number one. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. So this is something that God wants us working hard at. Be diligent, persevere. There's methodical, daily, active things that we do in our lives so that we can present ourselves approved by God. We know that God has saved us, that we're in Christ As we look at verse 15, though, there's something that God can give to our lives where he says, I approve of this. You think of something that you give your favor to. I enjoy this. I like this. I, I delight in this. And this is the idea here in verse 15 is be diligent to present yourself approved by God. And this is how a worker or a laborer who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy is to work hard in God's word. And this is the job of a pastor, but it's also the job of every believer. This is a tradesman. This is someone who's working with concrete. This is a framer. This is someone who works hard and sweats as they work. And that's the attitude that we're to have towards the word of God, that we're to put hours in praying and studying a worker in God's word. Why do we want to be a laborer in God's word? So we don't need to be ashamed. A good worker, when his job is done, doesn't have to be embarrassed about the cabinets that he's built. It's good work, right? So he steps back and he says, there's nothing to be ashamed of in these cabinets. In the same way as we study God's word, we should put enough time into it to where we know what the word of God says. We know what conversations to avoid. And by avoiding fruitless conversations, then we have the energy to be diligent in God's word. Think about all of those wasted conversations on Facebook, you know? Oh man, if I just stayed away from some of those that are to the ruin of of hearers, the time that I would have to be diligent in the word. Oh, I had a word fight. That word fight ended up taking all day. What was it over? The toothpaste. Who really cares, right? It was over the stinking dog. It was over the deck. It was over the car. It was over who needs to have it, right? So we avoid those word fights so we can be diligent in the word. We can be a worker in the word. and We get God's message right. We rightly divide it. This word divide, in the Greek, it means to cut a straight line. 
If you are a, a workman, a tradesman, you know a chalk line, and you get that chalk line just right, and you pop it, and you get a nice straight line. You get a level out, and you get a nice straight line. And we're able to get into God's word, and with confidence to where we're not ashamed, we can say, I know what God's word has to say about this particular issue. I'm not ashamed. It's not my message. I didn't come up with it. I didn't create this. This is what God says on this issue. Now, this is serious business, isn't it? This is a big deal. If we're going to open up the word and go, this is not my opinion, but this is what God is saying and what God declares, we want to make sure it really is what God declares. And this is his word. This is a big deal. And so it takes a lot of prayer, effort, and thought to say, I want to rightly divide the word of God. I want to break this down a little bit more because I'm sure that for some, you're really discouraged when it comes to being a diligent worker in the word. And you're thinking, well, maybe that's good for this pastor or, or this teacher at a Bible college or that professor or this commentator, but I've tried and I've failed and I've tried and I've failed and I just don't seem to get a lot out of, of God's word. Be encouraged. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Lord's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he'll open up his word to you. Spend time in it. Pray before you begin to read. Pick a book of the Bible and read through that book of the Bible. Maybe read it through two or, two or three times. Come with a heart of expectation with a pen and a paper and a journal. I'm going to write down the things that God is showing to me. But you can know God's word. You can understand God's word, log time in it. This is what makes us useful. This is what causes us to be useful for the master is when we have the word of God. Because it's the word of God that changes people's lives. It's not my personality. It's not my ideas. It's not a person's boldness. It's when someone can point them to Jesus and who Jesus is and what Christ has done for them. Rightly dividing the word of God, a diligent worker. In verse 16, again, a second warning about what to avoid. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. So the first conversation to avoid is a word fight that's not profitable. There's some things that we do need to dialogue on issues of, of doctrine. But there's word fights that we can avoid. Here, this is to shun. I mean, think about what you would actually shun. Maybe a black widow, a brown recluse, something that's dangerous, right? A cobra, something. Aren't you thankful that we don't have cobras in Colorado? This is a great state to live as far as bugs go. Amen? Amen. But you shun it because it's dangerous, it's profane. So there's conversations that are just downright profane. Sometimes we may enter into those and we need to repent and shun those profane conversations. Sometimes we're not the one that's doing the speaking, but we're doing the listening. And our silence shows our approval. We're just silent. We don't say anything. And what does scripture say? Shun those profane conversations. The others, a lot more convicting, idle babblings. It's not that it's necessarily perverted or gross. It's just idle. Babble, 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 babble. At the end of the day, nothing's really been said. Nothing that's building anybody up. Nothing of the kingdom, nothing of Christ. It's simply 
idle babblings. And those are things that we should shun, that we should run away from. Notice what happens in verse 16. Not only the ruin of the hearers, but now will increase to more ungodliness. Conversations are powerful. Words are are powerful. If we give in to these kinds of conversations, then ungodliness is going to increase. We get an illustration of this in verse 17. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. So someone who is of profane and idle babblings, and we'll see of these two men that their profane speech actually came in regards to Christ and teaching false doctrine. And Paul called that profane. And their false teaching, it spread like a cancer. In the Greek, this word cancer is gangrene. Gangrene. It's going to have effect. This passage is rich in imagery, as you'll see. We've already read of a worker, and that brings an image of someone laboring hard. And now we have this image of gangrene. Maybe you weren't convinced yet, as we were going through the scriptures, that conversation matters. It's gangrene. Profane and idle babblings, it's ungodliness that's going to increase. It's an infection that needs to be cut off and dealt with. How about these two dudes, Hymenius and Philetus? Hymenius may ring a bell because he was already listed in chapter 1, verse 20. Now he's got a new traveling companion, Philetus. Paul didn't mind calling out false teachers by name. He says, here they are, so that you can be careful of them. These men probably, at one point, were trusted inside of the church of God. It probably brought Paul great heartache to have to list their names. How would you like to have your name listed in that context for all of eternity, right? Not so fun. Verse 18. Notice these two men who strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrew the faith of some. Saying, you know, the resurrection of the dead unto eternal life, it's, it's already passed. The second coming of Christ, it's already happened. You've missed it, guys. And they strayed from the truth, and notice, they overthrew the faith of some. Be careful what you listen to, especially when it comes into regards of who Christ is. Make sure that it winds up with Scripture. Your best guard against false teaching is being a diligent worker in the Word. Knowing the word of God is going to be able to spot the counterfeit. I love verse 19. It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Even though there's false teachers, even though there's profane and idle babblings, the solid foundation of God stands. Nothing can affect the solid foundation of God. What is the solid foundation of God? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, his death and resurrection. Jesus said that he is the chief cornerstone. He who is rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He stands. Quoting now from the Old Testament, it says, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is quoting from Numbers 16, where we find these men coming against Moses. They were coming against his leadership, They got 250 leaders to come alongside of them and trying to overthrow Moses. God stands up on Moses' behalf and he swallows these guys with the earth. The earth opens up, digests these guys, burp, there it was. 
And in this context, it says the Lord knows who are his. Going back to number 16, God knows who are the true followers of Christ and those who are not. So God knows us. He knows that we belong to him. Tonight in this room, he knows those who are his. He knows those who have said yes to Jesus Christ from their hearts. Not that we're perfect, but that we've believed in Christ. There's a sincere faith in our hearts and our lives. He also knows those who haven't opened up their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Here's the encouragement to all those who do belong to the Lord. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So if we're going to name Christ, if we're going to believe in Christ, if we're going to receive his forgiveness through his death and resurrection, then we're going to have a desire to depart from iniquity. Someone who claims to have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, but is comfortable living in full-on rebellion to God, there's something missing. Because when the grace of God has touched us, we realize Jesus died from our sins, it produces a desire in us to want to depart from iniquity. If you're struggling with sin, if you're not comfortable in your sin, if you're convicted over your sin, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is inside of you. You've named the name of Christ, and it's God stirring us to depart from iniquity. I always look at verse 19 and go, oh, Lord, you do know me, and you do know that I need to depart from iniquity. Isn't it amazing? God knows us, and in his knowledge of us, he looks inside of our character, and there's always something in me that I need to depart from. This is for us tonight, church. This is for us to go, God, I want my life to be used by you. So what iniquity in my life am I committing that you desire to purge out, that you desire to cleanse, that you want me to confess and to forsake? It's a good habit for us to be into of continually looking into our hearts. God, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way inside of me. Because we're going to find as we go into these next few verses is that God's looking for pure vessels to use. That's what he's desiring. And that's what he's looking for. So let me ask you and let me ask myself tonight, what is it? What is it that you need to depart from? And notice what it says here. It says depart. Depart from iniquity. God actually desires for us to forsake sin. Depart from the anger. Depart from the lust. Depart from the drugs. Depart from the sexual sin. Depart from the drunkenness. Depart from the bitterness. That's the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ has died for us. That he can come and say, tonight's the night to leave it. Do we believe that? Sometimes we get so accustomed to our struggles that we go, I can't depart this. I I can confess it, but I'm not going to forsake it. And God says, I want you to depart from iniquity. What's in the trash can of our hearts that needs to be emptied, that needs to be taken to Christ and saying, Christ, would you forgive me of my sins? I'm sure you do it in your house. We do it in ours. Trash day, it's Friday mornings. It used to be Monday mornings, and then they switched it to Friday mornings. Doesn't that mess you up when that happens? It's like, I'm so used to Mondays, and now it's, now it's Fridays. That's an important day. If you forget a trash day, If I forget a trash day in our home with the six of us, it overfloweth. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Doesn't all fit in there. So I try my best to make sure every Friday morning I've gone through every trash can in the house and emptied it 
and getting it into the big can out in the garbage can, and then it's my blessing to waste management on Friday morning. (laughs) How much more so spiritually do we need to empty the trash cans? Has it been two weeks, two months, two years, and it's been building up, and it's overflowing, and it's overflowing? We have a good God. We have a wonderful Savior that's ready to cleanse us and forgive us as we depart from iniquity. For some, there's such a heavy weight on you this evening. You've been wrestling for some time. You're just waiting to be found out. It's a matter of time. You know it. But even right now as I'm talking, you haven't decided if you're going to depart. And you don't know why. We can get to that place where we actually become attached to our sin. Hear the Holy Spirit. Hear the heart of God. Depart from iniquity. We go on into verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Isn't this true? In every house, there's all kinds of vessels. There's china that you maybe received from your grandmother. But then there's just that nasty coffee mug that you've been meaning to throw away for some time now, but you just don't have the courage to do it. Maybe it's not fine china, men. Maybe it's the chop saw in the garage. That's a vessel of honor, isn't it? It has this great task. It's set apart for a specific purpose. You don't cut the Tillamook cheese with the chop saw. You save that for lumber, don't you? You've got it set aside for a specific purpose. Vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. There's china, there's tools, but there's also the toilet, isn't there? It's the vessel of dishonor. Let's just be honest. You're all thinking it in verse 20. That's what, it's in a great house and there, there's all kinds of, of vessels. And what I want us to see and understand and consider for just a moment is God does use vessels of honor and of dishonor. The issue is closeness to the Lord. Pharaoh was used by God in his rebellion. God will use even your disobedience for his glory. Nebuchadnezzar's pride was used by God to show God's power and his glory above any earthly ruler, but they were vessels of dishonor. This is a greater prayer than simply being used by God, but it's being close to God. We have a choice in this where we can decide if we want to be a vessel for honor or a vessel for dishonor. And this is how, in verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. This is our second thing to consider tonight. It's a useful vessel, a useful vessel. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, no one can do it for us. We have to choose to do it. What are we cleansing ourselves from? These idle conversations. We'll see as we continue to read on that we're cleansing ourselves from youthful lusts. As we've just read, that we're departing from iniquity. As we make that choice, then we can become a vessel for honor. In this tonight, gang, there's good news. And you're saying, what is it? It never says here that you have to be a perfect vessel. It never says that you're never gonna fail. It says that you have to depart from iniquity. You may look at your past and you go, God could never use me. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than any sin than we've ever committed. Amen? Amen. And we have that choice to make that we can turn from, we can depart from iniquity, and then we can become that vessel 
of honor. And it says, sanctified and useful for the master. And sanctification is an important word for us in the scriptures. Justification is we're declared righteous by God, just as though we've never sinned. That happens the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're positionally justified. Sanctification is a process of being made more like Christ. Being made more like Christ. It simply but powerfully means to be set apart. God wants our lives as a vessel for honor to be set apart. It shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't act like the world. We shouldn't have the same passions and priorities as people that don't know Christ as our Savior. Our lives should be set apart for God's glory. And then it becomes useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Don't you want to be a tool that God picks up and says, hey, I want to use you. You're useful to me. You're, you're useful. And this is an expression of God's grace. How could we as fallen sinners ever be useful to God? This is his work in our lives. But it's us getting to that place of saying, I want to be in obedience so that I can be useful for the Lord. You may not care now, but you're going to care in eternity. When we get home to be with the Lord, we're going to grieve for a moment. Go, oh Lord, I wish that I would have lived my life for what really mattered. What stands out to me also in verse 21 is prepared. Prepared for every good work. How many times is the good work there, but I'm not prepared? Because I haven't chosen to be a vessel of honor, useful for the master. Tonight, right where we're at, no matter what struggles we have presently or we've had in the past, we can choose to depart from iniquity and be a vessel unto honor. We go on to verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, and love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There's three components to this verse. There's flee and there's follow with those that call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Consider with me who's receiving this letter. It's Timothy, and Timothy's being exhorted to flee youthful lusts. He served faithfully with the Apostle Paul. Some believe that he'd already traveled with Paul for 16 years. Most likely, he's in his 30s. He's pastoring the church of Ephesus. He's not who you would think would need an exhortation to not fall into sexual sin. Here's the message for us. That anyone at any time is capable of falling into sexual sin. And youthful lust, it includes sexual sin. Sexual sin is rampant in our younger years, but it never goes away. Someone can choose to walk in sexual sin and engage in youthful lust no matter what their age is. So it's sexual sin, but also what do we struggle with in our youth? A lot of times anger, a lot of times conceit, a lot of times contention. And so Timothy's to flee all of those things. But what seems to rise in the surface for our culture is sexual sin, isn't it? I don't need to, I don't have to go through all of the numbers and the t- st- statistics on sexual immorality for us to know that it's a problem and it's an issue. We're a very sexual driven culture. And this principle, this truth, it needs to be engraved into our souls. When it comes to sexual sin, you run for your life. You don't stand there and go, hey, I'm stronger than this. I'm going to quote some verses and 
I'm going to stay in this moment of temptation and show how strong I am spiritually. You quote some verses while you're running away as fast as you possibly can. And this is different than a lot of other areas that God gives to us. He says for us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. But when it comes to sexual sin, strength is found in weakness, knowing your own weakness and saying, I'm going to flee. I am going to run from sexual sin. I believe that we have to have in our hearts a prepared response before the temptation comes. We see this in the life of Joseph. Coats kept getting Joseph in trouble. First, it was the coat of many colors with his brothers. They sold him as a slave. Now, he's a slave in Egypt in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with him. What a temptation. He's away from home, foreign land, young man. Here's this lady that desires him. He resists day after day. If you go in Genesis, this wasn't just a one-day temptation, but he resisted day after day. And then finally, she gets a hold of his coat, another coat. First, it was the coat of many colors. Now it's his, his coat as a slave. And what does he do? He runs for his life. And that's what the scripture tells us. I believe that Joseph had decided before the temptation came that he was going to run. And have you done that in your life? Have I done that in my life? To say, Lord, I'm determining to flee. And this word flee, it means to run and to keep running and to keep running and to keep running. You may be resisting sexual sin for years now. You keep resisting. Scripture tells us if you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. It may be 20 years of going, you know, I've resisted sexual sin. I've resisted sexual sin. I'm above this, you know? I'm well past that age in my life. I'm never going to fall again. And I felt really led tonight in this passage just to share my heart with you. My heart this last two weeks has been absolutely broken of seeing sexual sin inside of the pastorate. There's two pastors that I've looked up to for a long, long time on a national level. They don't live in Colorado. They have national ministries. And they've both fallen to, to sexual sin. And I would have never guessed it. Never, ever, ever guessed it. And I know in my mind, everybody's capable. But for some reason, I looked at these two men and I go, the way that they're living their life, they're going on a different track. They're not going to fall in this way of sexual sin. And I don't say in any way to disrespect them, but it's, it's rocked me. And it's reminded me that, man, if these two guys can fall, anybody can fall. We're one decision away. We see this in David's life. It wasn't like all these things were wrong in David's life. Things were going well, and he loved the Lord. And I know these two men, they love the Lord, and they didn't intend to be where they're at. And in a moment of weakness, a moment of lapse, they gave in to, to sexual sin. I can't think of words to impress this upon us. It's men, it's women, it's no matter what the age is. This is such an important issue to the Lord. God tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God, that you should know how to possess your, your body for sanctification and honor. 
If you find yourself in that place of sexual purity tonight, keep fleeing. May this be a reminder from Scripture, from the Lord. This is God's word. You keep fleeing. If you find yourself tonight in sexual sin of one way or another, tonight you can depart from iniquity and begin to flee and keep fleeing and keep fleeing and keep fleeing. And this is an area that we can pray for each other in. We can pray for the body of Christ in that the Lord would give us this kind of purity. Please notice in verse 22, there's a couple other elements And it's to flee, but it's also to follow. Pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. The gospel gives us the power to say no, but it does more than that. It also gives us the power to follow. Christ's death and resurrection gives us the power to pursue. And we've got to pursue righteousness. And righteousness here is speaking of right living. It's right decisions. It's something we pursue. Faith is trust in God, but also faithfulness. We should pursue trusting in God and pursue faithfulness. Pursue love, a love for God and a a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a love for our neighbor. Anytime that we're in sexual sin, we're not loving God and we're not loving our neighbor. Pursue peace, peace with God and peace with others. And then this is huge in verse 22, with those and circle it, with those and circle it, and with those and circle it who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You can't do it alone. In this area of conquering youthful lusts that never go away, we can't do it alone. If you're married, husbands and wives, this is the first form of accountability. This is the first place that we should say, you know what? Babe, we're following the Lord. Let's ask that God would make our hearts pure and let's challenge each other in the things of God. I'm a big advocate of having these conversations with your spouse. There's no higher accountability on a human level than to discuss it with your wife. You know, men, if we're struggling in our thought life, you can tell a group of guys in an accountability group and that's very important but it always stings a whole lot more when you go to your wife and you say, you know what, I've been struggling in my thought life. Would you really pray for me? And wives, that may really blow you away that your husband would come to you and say that. And how do you respond in that moment? He's being transparent. You pray for him. You be there to be, help him be accountable and realize he's opening up his heart to me. And ladies, don't think that this is just a one-way street. Ladies struggle as well. And maybe there's someone that's gotten your attention and you're struggling and some thoughts that you're having. Go to the Lord, go to your husband. You gotta have a framework in your marriage to understand you're absolutely human, and we all struggle. Where else are we gonna be honest? Our spouses have a way of knowing anyway, don't they? They know when we're hiding. They know when there's something that's not there. And then I think it's very important, and please hear this, men to be involved in men's life and women to be involved in women's life. This gets really confusing if you're looking for accountability in this area with someone of the opposite sex. It's like, ah, that just got all convoluted, didn't it? So open up your heart and find some other men who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Stop by the information desk. Get information on the men's ministry, on the women's ministry. You know some believers. This in verse 22 is organic. It's like, man, I know some men in my life that are calling upon God of of a pure heart. I'm gonna walk in relationship with them. Ladies, you know some women who are following the Lord and, and pursue them and say, I wanna be in relationship so that we can help support each other 
as we walk with the Lord. Let's look at verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. There's the third warning about conversations. Verse 24. This is our third element, a gentle servant. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. There's a big phrase right there, servant of the Lord. I'm bond servant of Jesus Christ. I've chosen just to chosen just to lay down my life and serve the Lord. So for a servant of the Lord, we can't quarrel. We shouldn't be someone that's known as a fighter. That we're always losing our temper and no, we're to be gentle to all. Able to teach and patient, patient with people. In humility correcting those who are in an opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Notice a gentle servant is not a coward. A gentle servant isn't weak, but a gentle servant has humility, considers himself, considers his own weakness so that he can then go and correct someone who is in opposition. A gentle servant of the Lord is going to have to confront, but he doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't do it out of a quarreling heart with the intent that God may grant them repentance so that they would know the truth. And we end tonight in verse 26 and says, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. It's important to remember the spiritual element when someone's gotten off track, when they've went off the rails. They've been taken captive by the devil. And that's why you're going to them. In humility, considering yourself is so that they would see what the Lord has for them and be taken out of the captivity of the enemy. It's so easy to forget verse 26 and the spiritual element in dealing with people. A gentle servant, a gentle servant. This is something that God has for all of us that I find to be very difficult. Jesus said that he was meek and lowly in heart. Saying, Lord, I desire to be a person of self-control in humility. I don't want to be a fighter. I don't want to be quarrelsome. I want to deal with tough issues as you lead me to, but I want to do it in gentleness. Haven't you found that God just uses gentleness? Sometimes you can just see it all over people. You know it's not weakness, but it is meekness. Wow, there's just a real brokenness, a sweet brokenness about them. There's a gentleness about them. They have a gentle spirit, a spirit that is under the control of Jesus Christ. First primary question tonight is you do believe that God desires to use your life. And that's an important one. That your life, my life, our lives could be used by God. Does God have to use us? No. Does he desire to use us? Absolutely. So for us to take God's word and then begin to pray through it and apply it and say, Lord, I want to be a diligent worker. What are some things that you work hard at in your life? And to say, more than anything else, I'm going to work hard at being a student of the scriptures because I want to know what the scripture says for myself, for my life and for other people's lives as well. Get after it tonight. Go home tonight and say, I'm going to get into the word. I'm going to study the word of God, a diligent worker, But then also to look and say, you know, I want to be a useful vessel. And is there sin in my life that I need to depart from tonight? Is there things that I need to confess and to forsake? And then finally to look and go, Lord, I just desire to be a gentle servant.
Or would you do that work in and through my life? But I know there's no greater glory than to see God use our lives for his purposes. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we do.